So first of all, wow. you have to figure out where that, that's occurring. And then you have to consider that we have a muscle tube. It's cartilage and muscle and tissues right here in our throats, right? We need to be working this out as well. And by working out that tube, you can expand it and you can actually reduce and sometimes reverse your sleep apnea. Okay, so how do you work out that tube? Welcome to the Michaela Peterson Podcast, episode 116 with James Nestor, the breathing expert. Do people really need to learn how to breathe? Apparently. When I was really ill, I felt like I couldn't inhale fully all the time, but my diet fixed that. There is more you can do, though. If you have trouble sleeping or sleep apnea, this episode is for you. We got majorly sidetracked down topics like free diving, which was fun. James is awesome. I am most definitely trying free diving. We spoke about the healthcare system, sleep, free diving, some hippie stuff, the usual. I'm a huge fan of this guy. This was a fun episode. If you enjoy it, please remember to hit subscribe. Also, side note, if you want to sponsor this show, hit me up. If you have awesome products that I like, that is, no vegan shakes. I like meat and honey and air fryers and grills and salt and things I can sleep at, on or sit on. Or maybe free diving equipment. Just kidding. You don't need anything to free dive except your breath. Hit up sponsorships at MichaelaPeterson.com, link below. I hope you enjoy this episode. James Nestor, welcome to my podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. Before we get started, would you mind giving my audience a brief background, if they don't know who you are, of who you are and what it is you do? Sure. I am a science journalist and an author, and I write about health, or I have been for the last few years, and I'm interested in the potential of the human body. That's what seems to be a through line through a lot of my work. Okay, so I specifically wanted to speak with you because my dad's been diagnosed with sleep apnea rather severely. He was waking up like maybe 30 times, like a ridiculous amount. He had no deep sleep and it was ruining his life. One of the things that was. So I thought, let's get sleep apnea out of the way and then let's talk about other aspects of breathing. But a lot of people suffer from sleep apnea and I know one of the ways to reduce the suffering is to lose weight. But... Are there other ways to go about reducing sleep apnea and is CPAP the right way to go? So what are your thoughts on that? So sleep apnea is this huge problem and it just seems to be getting worse and worse every year. So about 20% of the population suffers from some level of sleep apnea, which is crazy. And a lot of people think that sleep apnea only afflicts obese people because what happens is too much fat accumulates around their necks and their airways get clogged and they mm -hmm. start choking on themselves throughout the night. But that's not true. So many people who are average weight or even underweight, uh, ultra marathoners, uh, top fitness people can suffer from sleep apnea as well. So sleep apnea is a problem in the airway and that problem can occur in various areas of the airway. So uh, for a lot of people, it's the tongue falling back uh, into the mouth. Sometimes it, it, there's a problem with the oral pharynx, nasopharynx. The, the deal is there is an obstruction there that has to be cleared. 
And for so long, people who had sleep apnea were often misdiagnosed. And so they were giving, given a whole you know, battery of different pharmaceuticals, which was actually making their sleeping worse. And if you don't do anything with your sleep apnea after several months or several years, it can lead to so many chronic, very serious problems. Diabetes has been linked directly with sleep apnea. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> who, who knew? ADHD, yeah. Alzheimer's, all the rest. So I'm not a doctor. I can't prescribe a blanket fix for everyone with sleep apnea. The most important thing is, is to get it diagnosed, figure out exactly where the problem is, then you can fix it. So, Okay, that, that's interesting. So I didn't realize that there were different that sleep apnea could be caused by different problems. So yeah, can you delve a bit more into that? Sure, so you know, people who are obese suffer from uh, sleep apnea, again, be- because they have too much, too much fat around their necks, but the same thing happens with weightlifters. You figure these people who are weightlifters are the fittest people on the planet, but they die of heart issues all the time in their 40s and 50s because they have so many muscles around their necks and it inhibits their ability to breathe, which is why so many people who are very fit, have a lot of musculature around their necks, have sleep apnea. So first of all, you have to figure out where that's occurring, and then you have to consider that we have a muscle tube, it's cartilage and muscle and tissues, right here in our throats, right? We need to be working this out as well. And by working out that tube, you can expand it, and you can actually reduce and sometimes reverse your sleep apnea. Okay, so how do you work out that tube? Mouth workouts? Well, you, what does that look yeah, like? Yeah, as, as idiotic as that sounds, I'm not going to demonstrate because it's, it's pretty <laughs> gross, but there's something called oral pharyngeal exercises that have been found in a few studies to be very effective in reducing sleep apnea. Surgery can be very beneficial as well. And CPAP is great as a Band-Aid, right? And it absolutely works. It's been a lifesaver for so many people. It's doing nothing for the core issue of sleep apnea. To be pushing air into your body for a third of your life is not a good, in my opinion, a good long-term solution. So there's, there's so many different ways of treating this. Uh, again, I'm not going to be the one to tell people how, how to treat this, but I will give you a, f- a few little hints from what I've heard from experts in the field, from Harvard, from Stanford and more, is they prefer to start softly and see what your natural body can do for yourself. And then you can lead up to a full diagnosis and, and go into surgery or other methods to help fix that. Okay, interesting. So people potentially not that this is medical advice, but potentially suffering from sleep apnea if they're using a CPAP or something like that. They could look into some of these mouth exercises and just see what it does for them if that ends up changing any of their symptoms. They can do a few things. They can do these oral pharyngeal exercises. There is one instructor instructor that helps people uh, improve their sleep apnea outcomes by singing, and which is basically a workout for your mouth. That's and, cool. And you get to sing. If you're tone deaf, that, that might be a problem for people around you. But uh, And there are also different things you can do with breathing in the daytime. And this is a, a burgeoning area of research 
research, what they're finding is if you can control your breathing and breathe better in the day, you can influence how you're breathing at night. And this sounded sketchy when I first heard it a couple years ago till I've more, more recently heard from some top level researchers who are exploring this in some studies right now. That makes sense. That if you practice right. something during the day, you strengthen those muscles and then slowly you teach your body to breathe a certain way at night. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing with all these little hacks is there's not too much of a leap of, of logic to get there. You're like, okay, my mouth is flabby, uh, just like other areas of my body are flabby. What happens when I don't exercise them? They get out of shape. What happens when I exercise them? They can get toned up. What happens when I breathe in a slower, lighter way in the day? I'm going to carry that habit into the night. And, and so to me, it seems pretty simple. And yet who's talking about this stuff? <laughs> I just don't see too many people except for, for some leading researchers, you know, in, in academic institutions. Okay. So a flabby mouth, how does one know whether or not they ha either have a flabby mouth or their breathing is, is improper? What are the signs? Yeah, well, that's, that's tough. Uh, if you're snoring, then there is room for improvement and, Oftentimes, not always, but snoring and sleep apnea go hand in hand. And a lot of us continue uh, to believe that snoring is like this cute thing. Uh, we think, oh, my, you know, my husband, my wife snores. I have to sleep in another room. Haha. <laughs> but, but snoring is, is, <laughs> is so injurious to the body. If you're struggling to do anything for a third of your life, struggling to get air, right? Um, it's, it, it can cause so many downstream problems. And we've known this for, for decades and decades. And still you go on YouTube and see pictures of like infant snoring and people think it's cute. And it's, you know, talk to people in sleep medicine about how cute that is later on in their life when they have developmental problems. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's very serious stuff. Okay, so back to weightlifters then. You said that what they need to do is start focusing on also working out those muscles. Is it also reducing the amount of muscle they have around their neck, though? Or No, I, I, I think it's less a concern about that and more concern about your airway health. And uh, okay. the things that I'm suggesting now, I want to be perfectly clear. I'm not saying this is going to work for everyone all the time. It's going to cure all your problems. But this stuff is free. You will only be celebrating in benefits of having better breathing, right? And having better airway health. You can only benefit from this. So, so why not look into it? So those exercises they're having weightlifters do and, and skinny people and ultra marathoners do are hmm. you're using this very powerful muscle, which is your tongue. And you're learning how to use the tongue the way our ancestors used their tongue. And in the fact that they used to push their tongues to the roof of your of the mouth when you're swallowing mm. right and we know this because our ancestors all had these pronathic faces right they all had straight teeth because they had these wide mouths they got those wide mouths by having this correct oral posture so so it starts with that oral posture don't walk around with your mouth open when you swallow move the tongue to the roof of the mouth to push it don't push against your teeth right and if you want you can do some of these oral pharyngeal exercises which are a whole bunch of crazy stuff opening your mouth lifting the tongue to the top of the mouth sticking the tongue out so on and so forth what does any of this have anything to do with mewing have you heard of mewing 
So mewing is just uh, that's just a version of an oral pharyngeal exercise. There's really okay. no difference between it. And what, what John and Mike have done is they've tried to bring awareness to the fact that our oral posture is so poor. And if you have poor oral posture when you're young, it can affect the growth of your face. It can actually affect how you're breathing later on in life. Because as the face develops, right, it needs the right inputs. About 40 to 50% of how you look, of how your airways are going to form, are epigenetic, which means they are going to be formed by whatever inputs you put into them. It's, it's not just encoded in your genes, right? It's, it's the environment that is influencing how you're going to look and how you're going to be able to breathe. And so what they were trying to bring awareness to was to shut your mouth, for one. Don't walk around like this. Mm-hmm. If you see a kid walking around like this, that's bad news, right? Shut your mouth. The teeth should almost be touching and the tongue should be on the roof of the mouth with the very tip just grazing the back of your front teeth. So a lot of us, even when we're shutting our mouths, our tongues are still down low, right? Mm-hmm. The tongue should be raised up and you're going to notice when you open your mouth, the tongue tends to rock back into the throat right? It, it, it helps to, to close the airway. When you close your mouth, that yeah. tongue will rock up and will help open the airway. This is especially important at night when you've got gravity working against you to shut your mouth and become a nasal breather. Hmm. Okay. I'm very aware of my tongue at the moment. Doesn't make for very good radio, <laughs> does it? To just be sitting there with your, with your mouth closed, working on these exercises. But <laughs> listeners, you can try this at, at home and see how it works for you. Yeah. I've got, I've got a bit of a horror story. I'm still horrified by this. I have a four-year-old and they put warnings on soothers, right? It's like, don't use this past six months. And I was young and she liked her soother. So I was like, she likes the soother. Anyway, she's about a year. She's past a year and she still had the soother. And my mom was like, you're screwing up her teeth. I was like, I'm not screwing up her teeth. And, and, but then I started looking into it and I was Googling and it was just hundreds of pictures of these toddlers with teeth that have grown like around a soother. And then they end up with their lower jaw that's too far back. And it's, and it destroys how attractive they are which is a huge problem when you grow up. They end up with a whole bunch of teeth problems like jaw surgery if it's really bad. So obviously we stopped the soother and but it took her teeth maybe almost 2 years to go back to normal. It was horrifying. I was very unhappy that they don't have these huge warnings on soothers like will disfigure for life if you use these too long. But does soother use or sucking your thumb when you're little does that screw up breathing as well? Of course it does. Yeah, for, for sure. Ugh. And, you know, there's a lot of research. I'm not an expert in this field about baby led weaning, about not using this non-nutritive uh, suckers um, or, yeah. or pacifiers. You know, a lot of people were saying I was just hanging out with Dr. Kevin Boyd last week, who is the expert in this field. And he's saying like anything over six months for with a pacifier is bad news. Wow. He, he even says any pacifiers are, are bad news because what, what happens is when an infant is, is breastfeeding and, and breastfeeding every two hours or how, however often, it helps to literally pull the face outward, okay? When you're pulling the full face outward, 
the palate will become, will be able to sink down and open up. And so you not only have this more attractive pronathic profile, but you have more room in the mouth for teeth to grow in straight. Hmm. So you're setting up the foundation for straight teeth and also a wider airway. What happens when you have a wider, larger mouth? you have a wider airway. There's more room in there. And so one of the reasons why so many of us suffer from snoring and sleep apnea is our mouths have grown too small. And because they're too small, there's not enough room for our tongues. And so we're literally choking on ourselves every night because of this. And, and it this sounds crazy, but all you have to do is look back at ancient skulls. This is something I did for a couple of years, worked with with some top researchers, they all had straight teeth. They all had pronathic um, profiles, right? They had these wide nasal apertures. They breathed totally different than we do today. It's amazing how many ways you can screw up just being alive. Like, oops, pacifier. Uh, <laughs> it's like under a year and a half and your face is screwed up now <laughs> well you know the good thing is that's reversible you're aware of it okay. now and there's so many procedures you can do expansion procedures correct oral posture all of these things can make an incredible uh difference to the profile to the breathing health of your kid it's about establishing positive habits now as you know, when we're in early development, it's much easier to change these screw ups. When you get to middle age, right, it's a lot harder because things are more set. That doesn't mean we can't make a lot of improvements. And I showed that in, in my book, you know, to your airway health, to your breathing, to your health. Um, obviously, we can, but it's a lot easier when you're younger. Okay. But when you're middle aged, you can still. Do you think doing those these facial exercises, not for everybody, but for some people, or losing weight, doing the facial exercises and strengthening can reverse sleep apnea? For some people, for some people, uh, yes, okay. it, it, it can. And and I know this because I've seen it. <laughs> because I've this is the one thing I've heard more from from anybody else, um, or people with snoring and sleep apnea, who have written have adopted these quick little fixes who use a little bit of sleep tape at night and no longer snore, no longer have sleep apnea. Doesn't work for everybody, but it's worked for, according to these people, thousands and thousands of people. And now there's a study mm. booting up at Stanford with 200 people looking at nasal breathing and sleep apnea on how just nasal breathing, changing the pathway through which we breathe at night can significantly improve our sleep and reduce sleep apnea. Interesting. I always had a, I had a number of health problems and I always had trouble. I used to snore. I don't anymore, but I used to snore, but it's because I couldn't breathe through my nose at night. It felt like I couldn't breathe through my nose. And then I fixed my diet. Now I can breathe through my nose. And so now I don't snore anymore, but sleep tape always horrified me a little bit when my nose was stuffy because I was like, I, I remember thinking if I ever get kidnapped and they duct tape my mouth, I'm going to die because <laughs> I can't breathe through my nose very well. So do, do people who have trouble breathing through their nose, are they able to do the sleep tape 
Does that improve, do you think? It does improve. It, but it again, it depends. What's, <sighs> what's your problem? What is causing this nasal congestion, right? Yeah. Is it a structural issue? Have you broken your nose four times? Your septum so so deviated, you can't breathe yeah. through your nose. Or is it an allergic reaction to food, to something yeah. in the environment, to something in the air? Um, you know, so each of these things has to be looked at and you need to find the core issue that's, that's causing the problem in order to really fix it. So as you found, and as so many other people have found, changing your diet can significantly impact your ability to breathe through your nose, especially removing dairy, especially U.S. dairy, A1 protein yeah. dairy can make a huge difference. Um, for other people, it's it's about finding what else is causing that allergic reaction, right? Is it pollen? Um, so so you have to look into that. But the key is here that if you are a mouth breather, I'm more convinced of this now than, than ever. And I'd heard this from researchers years ago. If you're a mouth breather, you are never, ever really going to be healthy. No matter what you do, no matter what exercise you do, no matter what foods you eat, you have to become a habitual nasal breather. This is the route through which the body wants to receive air because when we breathe air through the nose, it's filtered, it's pressured, pressurized, it's humidified, it's conditioned. When we breathe air through the mouth, you can think about the lungs as an external organ. They're exposed to everything in the environment. And if you're breathing 20, 25,000 times a day, going to really cause a lot of problems and you're going to overwork your body unnecessarily okay that makes sense yeah especially air filtering that makes sense you don't want to have to fight off infections without that kind of mucous membrane protection yeah that makes sense uh, okay what's a proper breath look like like if you're describing to the audience exactly how you should be breathing, you talked a little bit about where your tongue should be, but is there a length of time you're supposed to breathe in versus out? Like what does a normal breath, assuming you're not exercising, look like? It depends who you are and it depends on what you're doing. So the perfect breath is the breath that is most efficient to your metabolic needs. You don't want to be over breathing for your metabolic needs. You don't want to be under breathing. So kids need to breathe more than adults when you're jogging or running you're gonna be breathing more than you're breathing on a sofa right uh, it's easier said than done to say just breathe within your metabolic needs but one thing the nose is so good at is it helps control the flow of air into our bodies and it does this for us in many capacities it's really hard to hyperventilate through the nose it's really easy to hyperventilate through the mouth, which is why you see people with anxiety, fear-based disorders, um, panic, asthma. They tend to breathe like this. Yeah. Try to do that through your nose. It's a lot harder. So when you breathe through the nose, you're forcing your body to breathe more slowly, to breathe more deeply, and breathe more lightly. And those slower, fluid breaths allow us to get more oxygen with fewer breaths. And so that's what efficiency is all about. If you're into athletic performance, it's all about efficiency, right? And so many of us don't think about this, that we think it's okay just to be breathing up to our, into our upper chest, just <laughs> all day, but that's just like revving a, a car and idling just over and over and over. You're working your body, you're, you're working all these different functions, but you're getting a minimal amount of breath. 
So one good thing that I, one good breath that I learned for people at rest, okay, this isn't going to work if, if you're boxing, is to take in a breath of about five to six seconds in and five to six seconds out. So when you breathe this way, that you shouldn't push it, okay? A lot of Westerners tend seems, to just... That seems like such a long time. Well, this is an exercise. Uh, you're not going to be able to do this throughout the day. If you can, uh, my understanding is you're only going to have benefits from it. But this is an wow. exercise to condition yourself to slow it down. And it turns out that when you breathe this way, so many different systems of the body enter into a state called coherence. Your brain waves enter the state of coherence. Your cardiorespiratory system enters the state of coherence. Heart rate goes down. Blood pressure goes down. More oxygen is delivered to the brain. More areas of the brain come online or are able to communicate more fluidly. Just by breathing this way. If you have a wearable that can look at heart rate variability, everyone's into that stuff nowadays, check out what happens to your heart rate variability when you breathe in this pattern of about five to six seconds in, five to six seconds out, five to six seconds in, and five to six seconds out. So this, this is not a placebo effect, and you can see it with very clear objective measurements from instruments. And so this is a great place to start. Uh, there's only benefits from breathing this way. If some people get panicked when they're breathing this way and can't do it, just slow it down. You know, do, do four seconds in and four seconds out. And you should think of this breathing like, like a circle. Don't think of it like a... <laughs> that's good for pranayama, martial arts stuff. But this calm breathing should be very relaxing to you. And you can use this anytime you want to calm yourself. And the science is very clear that it has pretty profound benefits. Oh, that's, that seems fairly simple five to six seconds in, five to six seconds out. How do you feel about something like Wim Hof breathing? I love Wim Hof breathing. I think Wim is an amazing dude. I think he has brought awareness to the potential of breathing, what it can do for autoimmune issues, what it can do for anxiety, what it can do for fitness freaks and bros and women and whomever else. Uh, more than anyone. And uh, I'm lucky enough to have spoken with him several times. And I'm a huge fan of, of what he's doing. It seems so counterintuitive that he's up on a stage, right? Saying, breathe, everybody, let's go. And I just told you yeah. to, that the most benefits are going to be from this very slow breathing. But it depends on what you want your breath to do for you. Wim Hof's method, which is an ancient method, and he's the first to admit that, is like going to the gym. You're not going to spend 24 hours in the gym, right? You go in for a very closed amount of time, you work your body out, get jacked up, and then you feel better for the rest of the day. So his method teaches you how to turn on stress. That's what it's doing. You're stressing yourself out. You probably think, why do I want to stress myself out? You want to do that so that you can learn how to turn it off. You compound all your day's stress in 20 minutes, and then the rest of the day, you can chill out. And that's why his method is so effective. What people don't see about Wim is when he's not up on stage, you know, shirtless, yelling at people to breathe more, he's chilling out, breathing through his nose, 
breathing very lightly and softly, but, but that's not, uh, you know, it's not as sexy as, as seeing a dude on, on stage in front of an audience doing that. So what, what I'm yeah. saying is breathing, you can do it in all of these different ways. And there, there are benefits to be had from so many of them. Interesting. I found with Wim Hof, um, I used to do a lot of, you know, headspace or meditation, just trying to calm my brain down. And I found that that I have never experienced anything as effective as his breathing. If you do like three rounds of 30 of those really intense breaths, it's very unpleasant, I find. But the after effect is just insane. Like I had no idea that breath could make that much of a difference to mental health or just your sense of calm. It makes sense. But still that that method of breathing very heavy and then holding your breath and then breathing very heavy again this has been around for thousands of years there's so many pranayamas that do this sudarshan kriya does the exact same thing kundalini breath work does the exact same thing and it's no coincidence that all of these different techniques affect us in the same way. They're so effective for anxiety and panic. There's a hundred independent studies looking at Sudarshan Kriya and how effective it is, even for autoimmune diseases. Mm. Um, when people are constantly stressed out, you know, there's this IV drip of adrenaline and cortisol. You have to stop that. And by breathing this way, as, as you know, and as I know, it allows you to sort of get it all out and then just be so relaxed through the rest of the day. What, what I love about this stuff too, is it's free, you know, and there are no negative side effects to, to breathing. So it's accessible to everybody. And, and I think that that's, that makes it so, uh, it, it makes it so universal, which is why the Hindus were into this and the ancient Chinese were into it and we're into it today. Good. So your book took off, right? Like you, I've seen you on a ton of different podcasts. People seem to be really interested in this. Do you have any idea why your book's been so successful? That's a good question. I have no idea. When you, when you write books, you know, you put them out into the world and you think maybe your mom and friends are going to read them. And, and that, that might be it. It's a scary thing uh, <laughs> b because uh, you have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, I certainly had no idea what was going to happen with this book. You know, I, when I first mentioned the idea to my agent and editor, they thought it was the stupidest book idea they'd, they'd ever heard. So I had to work on it more. I said, <laughs> I think there's something in here. They didn't believe these stories that you could help fix scoliosis with breathing, that you could help fix asthma with breathing, that you could fix panic with breathing, um, that diabetes could be, uh, uh, symptoms of diabetes could be reduced with breathing. They, they didn't believe this. And, and uh, I didn't believe it uh, either until I really spent a long time, years talking with researchers and putting together the stories. So I was unfortunate mm. enough to have spent so many years working on this book and it was all printed and ready to come out in May of 2020. And as you know, Perfect. books books are printed like five months ahead of time, right? So it's in the warehouse ready to go. It was already released in catalogs. I was ready to, to tour. March uh. comes around of 2020. I was like, oh my God. So I had to record the audiobook in, in a shed in my backyard because everything was shut down here in San Francisco. We weren't going to release the book. Uh, we were going to yeah. wait a year, a year and a half. And then an editor said, you know what? People might need this right now. We have a respiratory pandemic. And uh, I said, what the hell? I'll just, I'll do promo the next year. We'll just get it out. And uh, 
yeah, it's been a complete trip. You know, the last year and in a couple of months have, have been pretty nutty. Uh, I didn't know that so many people were as interested in this seemingly simple and and odd thing as, as breathing as, as as I've seen. But obviously, it's it's awesome. I'm so grateful. I guess that makes sense given the pandemic. Have you done any research on how breathing can affect and uh, COVID or viral issues? It can have a huge impact on it. And this isn't from my experience. This is coming from doctors in the field. There's a whole group of doctors called um, stasis right now, and they put together breathing protocols for COVID. So one of the first things they started doing with COVID patients is instead of having them on their backs, right, mm -hmm. in hospitals, most of the expansion in your lungs happens in your back. It doesn't happen in your chest. Everyone thinks it's here. Oh, wow. When you breathe, it's happening in your back. So if you're on your back, it's much harder to even take a breath in, right? And we've known this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And yet in hospitals, they're laying out these COVID patients on their backs. So the first thing they did is started to prone them. They would lay them on their stomachs or their sides. And it made a huge difference. Then they started noticing that so many people suffering from severe COVID had breathing problems. They were mouth breathing. They were breathing too much. They were constantly hyperventilating. So they started fixing that. Then they started engaging the rest of their lungs, right? This is a viral problem in the lungs and it seeps into all of the different lung tissues and clogs them up, right? What you want to do is to be engaging the other parts of the lungs that aren't clogged up with fluid and to be breathing more fluidly, to be breathing very softly and lightly into the lungs. So this can make a huge difference. And I was pretty amazed mm. that I was finding this and researchers were writing me right when the book came out and said, try to get this information out there. And yet I just don't see the CDC or anyone else talking about nutrition, vitamin D levels, breathing health, <laughs> you know, when it comes to COVID treatment. And, and I think they should. And at least from what I've heard from several doctors, that should have been a part of the program uh, right from the get go. Yeah, it most certainly should have. But I don't know why. Maybe it's harder. I think. The medical community is so used to looking into pharmaceutical interventions that it's just a little bit outside of their forte and may, maybe i don't know yeah it should have obviously been covered it, it is outside of their forte because they're dealing with acute severe problems you know in my family there are doctors my father-in-law is a pulmonologist so the specialist of the lungs and so much of what i was finding he had never heard of in his life and and you know he was curious as to why that was but he's dealing with people who come in with lung disease who come in get in car accident who have copd right yeah. he's not dealing yeah. with people who have chronic low-grade problems a lot of doctors say, we only deal with the walking dead. You have to get so bad, just like with sleep apnea. You can have five apnea events, six apnea events per hour, and you still won't get any treatment from sleep apnea. It has to get so bad before you get treatment for it. And I just think that that is a twisted way of looking at human health. Like maybe we should be looking into prevention and what we can do to avoid these long-term problems.
Yeah, I entirely agree. But the problem there is there's so many aspects nowadays that are wrong, aspects of our lives that are just wrong. Like you have to, you have to attack it in such a multifaceted way that it's hard to say, you know, fix this one part when, when for, for people to be healthy, they need to fix, you know, nutrition and sleep and exercise and breathing and how your mouth is developed and breastfeeding. It's a lot to handle just to keep somebody healthy. It, it, it is, but as we've been discussing here, these fixes are so like, well, of course. Oh, it's so simple, right? It, it, they're not very convoluted. And the way I look at this stuff, because diet is more confusing now than it's ever been. It doesn't need to be that confusing. It's the further we move away from nature, the sicker we get. If you look at any culture, if you look at, at Westerners 300 years ago, the advent of the Industrial Revolution, right? This is when all of these chronic diseases first started taking root. So when we start moving away from nature, and it's no coincidence that if you look at the hunter-gatherer tribes that are still around, they don't have hypertension, they don't have diabetes, they don't have uh, asthma, they don't have allergies. They don't have any of these, the vast majority of these problems that we have. And yet their diets are, some of them eat the majority of, of carbs. That's what their diet is, 90% carbs. Others eat almost entirely fat and meat and, and cow's blood, but they still don't have any of these problems. So to me, I start seeing these patterns. The further we move away from that, the sicker we get. What happens when we start moving back towards nature? and doing things our bodies were evolved to do. Oh, that's weird. Our bodies start getting well again. And this is this is how I view a lot of, of medicine is moving in this direction because it's been so effective for people who haven't been helped in any other way. I hope so. I think that from my experience from get, being chronically ill to healing, it was like, I didn't stop. I mean, I'm, I still haven't stopped talking about it. And I didn't stop talking about it for a number of years to everyone I met because I was so mind blown that I had control over some of my health problems. So I think everybody who clues into one of these kind of alternative health practices isn't even the right way of, of talking about it because it's more like traditional, right? But I think the more people that clue into it, the more it'll spread. And with social media and podcasting and everything, it seems to be going in a positive direction, I hope. And hopefully that'll influence mainstream medicine at some point. Yeah, I hope. But but it's also, it's, it's so strange to me that you've got all these dudes in a gym now talking about the electron transport chain and ATP <laughs> and they become default biochemists. You had yeah. to do your own research, right? You're like, nothing's yeah. working for me. Yeah. I need to do my own research here. I had the same exact experience with breathing. I said, why do I have all these respiratory problems? My doctor and other people are like, oh, you're old, dude, get, get used to it. And I was like, yeah. but you can see these older people who don't have any of these respiratory problems. So, so something's wrong. It's just all of us have been forced to become these hackers in such a way where we have to research our own core problem because no one else is doing it. But in some ways, that's, it's enlightening that so many of us now have access to information to take control of our health, you know? And I don't think that this information was disseminated before. You know, it was much harder to get this 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Now we have podcasts and, and other routes of finding information. And you can try this stuff out and see what works for you. Yeah, 
it's the nice thing about it. You can just listen to people, try it out, see see what works. So you said, I, I wanted to ask you, and I forgot to ask you uh, closer to the beginning of the episode, why did you get into this in the first place? Uh, I had some breathing issues, but I'm a science journalist, so I didn't want to write a memoir about that. That's That's not my jam. And so I just sort of stuck with those and I was curious as to why I was having them. Uh, I surf a lot here in San Francisco. I was also doing a lot of martial arts at the time and I kept getting bronchitis and I kept getting mild pneumonia. Like every single year I would get pneumonia. And I noticed I was starting to wheeze a, lit, a little bit when I was working out. Um, you know, yeah. at my doctor's office, they gave me a bronchodilator and said, uh, just use this when you're wheezing. I was like, well, well what's the core problem? They're like, I, I don't know. <laughs> you you yeah. know, just, and I said, well, well, that's weird. I want to research this a bit. So I'd stuck with that and I, I tried to figure it out for a couple of years. I went to a breathing class, which I was told could help improve my lung function. And instead I had just this absolutely crazy reaction from doing this very vigorous breathing. It's just like Wim Hof breathing, but it's like 50 minutes long of really Oof. going for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I just started sweating, just pouring, sweating profusely. My, my hair was like sopping wet. I sweat through my t-shirt and I went back to my friends who were in medicine. I said, what, what happened? They said, oh, you had a fever. Uh, oh, the room was too hot. Oh, you were wearing too many clothes. I said, no, none, none of those <laughs> things were true. But still, I didn't know what to do with that story. Um, so I, I put that in a back file and kept researching breathing and then was put on an assignment to write about free divers for Outside Magazine. This was oh. years and years ago. And I saw them and they just opened everything up. They were doing something that's supposed to be medically, scientifically impossible and they're doing it every day. So if they can do that, what else can we doing? Could we be doing? And what else can I learn about where breathing can take us? Okay, that totally makes sense. So, sidestepping into free diving, do they do some? Do they prepare similar to Wim Hof? I know that if I do Wim Hof breathing for about ten minutes, like the the cycles of thirty breaths, I can hold my breath no problem for like three and a half or four minutes, which you shouldn't be able to do and I can most definitely do. And it didn't take a lot of practice to be able to get there. So do they do something like that in order to be able to free drive? How does that work? It's very controversial stuff here. So some okay. people do, but the reason you're able to hold your breaths for so long after you hyperventilate like that is you're offloading a ton of CO2 from your body, right? And by offloading that CO2, you are allowing your chemoreceptors to to reset and have more time before they trigger the need to breathe. This gets a little complicated. I'll simplify it. So the need to breathe is not triggered by oxygen. It's triggered by an increase of CO2. So if you exhale and hold oh. your breath, and then you're like, I need to breathe, that's triggered by an increase of CO2. If you're breathing very slowly and hold your breath, you're going to have a healthy balance of CO2, which means that limit, right? That difference be between that need to breathe is going to be smaller. If you offload more CO2, you have more space there before mm. those, those alerts go off. So this can get dangerous because CO2 and oxygen are very closely tied together. That need to breathe when that CO2 gets to a, a certain level is usually the time when your body needs oxygen. 
So if you're hyperventilating before <laughs> you're diving, you can pass out because you can run out of oxygen before that trigger of CO2 hits those chemoreceptors. Oh, that's not what I wanted to hear at all. I'm sorry. Yeah, so don't ever do Wim Hof in a bathtub. Don't ever do it before you go into a pool. People have died doing this. That is, do it on your sofa, you know, do it on land. So with free diving, what you really want to train yourself to do is to naturally be able to accept that increase of CO2 and that you can breathe slowly. Most, um, all of the freedivers I met, they breathe very slow. Before they dive, they'll breathe a big breath, but it will be a slow and calm breath to calm themselves down. It's a lot harder to hold your breath that way at the beginning, but this is the better way of freediving. Wow. I had no idea. I'm also glad you told me about the bathtub because I can see that's a way I could have gone, gone out. I'm like, whoa, I can hold my breath forever. Don't, Death don't do bathtub. it. <laughs> if you're, if you're, even if you're hyperventilating and holding your breath for four minutes, you'd be a good free diver because you've, Matt, you've enabled your body to become comfortable with that long breath hold. And I, I can tell you like free diving is the most transcendent meditative thing you can do. Have you done on that? this planet all the time. Yeah. That's really? my favorite thing. How? So a lot of people view freediving, you, you go on YouTube and you see Guillermo Neri uh, diving down to 300 feet, right? Or with sperm whales. And so yeah. he's an elite diver. This is, uh, it, it's kind of sad. I, my first book, Deep, there was some freediving in it that looked at the human uh, body and our connection to the ocean from the very surface of the, of the ocean to the very bottom of the deepest sea, right? So there's freediving up in the sh more shallow levels, but... A lot of people know freediving through its competitions where these people are challenging one, one another to see how deep they can dive and come back to the surface conscious. Yeah. What could go wrong? <laughs> huh. Well, I, I saw what could go wrong. And that's, that's in the Outside Oof. Magazine article. But freediving, that's, that's not what it was originally intended to be. And that's not what the vast majority of the people on the planet use it for they use it as this connection with the ocean with yourself it's totally silent down there you're in zero g's you're floating around animals come up to you because you're silent they accept you as part of their you know the ocean environment so it's just such a trippy and amazing thing and uh it's been hard being locked here in san francisco but oh. I'm, I'm traveling very soon and i hope to be doing a lot of diving in the future that sounds amazing. I haven't done very much looking into that gave me goosebumps that story. That sounds that sounds amazing. Where are you planning on going? Are you going to go somewhere and and do the free diving? I'm going to Europe for a couple of months. So, they have free diving pools in Italy and in France. I've been to the one in Paris where instead of the pools being like wide and shallow, they're very narrow and deep. So you can practice there. They go down to about 60. I think the one in Italy goes down to 100 feet. So you can practice your freediving in this controlled environment because freediving is a huge deal in Europe, not just the competitive side, but people do this because they're, you know, it's, it's the easiest way to really connect with yourself and to force yourself into a meditative state. You can't do it if you're anxious or panicky or hyperventilating. You have to chill the hell down and to focus and just sort of let your body go. And uh, you will never feel better than you have after 
four or five hours of free diving in the ocean because not only are you experiencing that you're breathing in this very fluid controlled way okay i'm sold how long can you i'm definitely going to do that how long can you go for like how can, how long do you hold your breath for uh, you're asking me these very clear questions. I realize I'm giving you the most convoluted answers, but uh, there, there's a reason I'm doing that. So freedivers told me, don't pay attention to your watch. The reason is your body changes from day to day. So you could be feeling really good and stay down to three to four minutes, or some days you're a little stressed out, you ate the wrong foods, and your body is telling you to go up to the surface after two minutes. So mm -hmm. we are so inherently competitive, Westerners, Westerners are that that we just want to be looking at oh I made it you know three minutes yesterday I'm going to try to go four listen to your body like leave that crap behind and when you feel the need to breathe here's an idea go up to the surface and get a breath this is not a competition this is about enjoying yourself and connecting with your body so having said that other people have have timed me and I've done very <laughs> shallow um you know, dives for about three minutes, three or, or, or four minutes. That's not moving a lot, right? That's just sort of sitting, sitting down. And the more you move, the more oxygen you're using. Yeah. So, but even a minute underwater and even diving down to 60 or 70 feet at around 30 feet, buoyancy shifts and you no longer get pulled to the surface. You get gently tugged to the deep oh, ocean. Oh, that's creepy. And you it's I didn't not <laughs> it's it's when you first do it you're like, "Whoa," because you're you're just like a feather floating down. But you can just sit there unmoving and float down and just glide down. So, just staying down for a minute is a transformational experience and feeling that negative buoyancy, that gravityless state. It's just incredible. So uh, I hope I'm I'm really selling this big time to people to do this in a, in a responsible way. Don't practice this crap in, in your bathtub. Get a proper teacher and do it the right way. And uh, I think it's a really beautiful hobby to do. Cool. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm definitely interested in that. Uh, I guess to practice, then you'd want to stay more shallow so you could get used to the breathing slowly. Sounds scary if you're floating down and then you also fought, like suddenly realize you need a breath and then it's harder to get back up because the buoyancy's. You have to think of it like climbing a mountain, right? You don't climb a mountain and, and think as you're going up, I'm going to use 100% of my energy. You have to use about 40% of your energy, you know, yeah. or 50% and say, I always need to have something in the tank. So with a proper freediving instructor, you're going to go down to seven feet okay you're going to get comfortable with seven feet then you're going to go back up then after a while you're going to go down to 10 feet and then 15 feet and then 20 feet so you will know your halfway limit that's what free diving is all about just like so many other things you you will feel that your body tells you all of these messages because we are meant to be in the water deep diving humans have something called a mammalian dive reflex it's the same reflexes that dolphins and whales and seals have we cool. have them too and the deeper you go 
the less of a terrestrial animal you become because more of these reflexes kick in. Your spleen releases oxygenated blood into your bloodstream and, and blood comes into your core and your mind enters this meditative state. And some free divers have recorded their heart rates at seven beats per minute during deep dives. And this is the body learning that you're uh, relearning becoming reacquainted with these ancient skills that we're all born with and when they start turning on it's gonna freak you out but it also feels incredible because you feel like you're really connecting with with our our true nature again that is so cool seven beats per minute what isn't it versus like 90 something what are we normally at? Well, it depends. At rest, a lot of people can be in their 60s. Uh, some athletes can get into their 50s and 40s. Right now, we're talking, we're active, we're probably in our, in our 70s or 80s. So, so this is not supposed to be humanly wow. possible. And yeah. they've, read, they've looked at their blood oxygen levels and found that they were at 50%, 50 what is considered unhealthy is below 92. <laughs> so uh, this was a recent study too, and they, they've been studying this for decades, but a study came out a couple months ago showing this. Again, shouldn't be uh, possible. If you told someone this was possible and, and hadn't done the study, they, they would call you insane. And yet this is the stuff that, that I love. It's like, if we don't know this about our bodies, if we're just discovering this, what, what else is out there? What else can we do with them? I completely agree. That's kind of how I feel. I've been on only eating meat since December 2017 for autoimmune issues. Again, completely mind-blowing. Like, how is that possible? Didn't think that was possible. I like this free diving thing. So people are basically, we still have those old mammalian instincts, but we just forgot about them. Yeah, we're all born with them. Um, and what we do is just reawaken them when we enter the water. And you can you don't have to free dive to do this. The reason why if you go into your kitchen or your bathroom right now and splash cool water on your face, your heart rate can go down about 20% just by doing this because that triggers these nerves in your face to send messages to your body to calm down. So those messages increase the deeper and deeper you go when your body senses pressure, when it senses your whole body is in water. It calms us down. And this calming us down allows us to conserve more oxygen. This is why a whale can stay underwater for 90 minutes, why a seal can stay underwater for two hours. They're accessing these mammalian dive reflexes. They also have different hemoglobin profiles, but... But we have these things too. We're mammals, you know, um, and we're, we're just like seals and just like dolphins and just like whales in this regard, which is why when you free dive, these animals, if you're lucky enough to have them around, they accept you as, as one of their own and they, they come up to you and they interact with you. I've had these, these interactions and it's just the most incredible experience you could have because with scuba you're pretty loud right you look like a, and you look a, terrifying you look terrifying and they associate dolphins at least associate bubbles with signs of aggression that's what they do yeah when they're being aggressive but if you come up and they see you go up to the surface, grab a breath of air, just like they do, and then you come back down and then they start mimicking you in what you're doing. And it's a beautiful thing, people. 
I know this sounds like some new age dream, but but go and no. do it and, and you'll see for yourself. This is exactly right down my alley. That sounds perfect. Okay. That was awesome. Uh, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about breathing and breath work and apparently free diving? <laughs> Uh, so my website, my publisher allowed me to to put all of the scientific references. There's something like 400 scientific studies because I realize nice. all of this sounds just like complete sketchiness. And uh, but it's all real. Uh, so you can see that at mrmrjamesnester.com backslash breath to go right to that portal. There are videos up there. There are interviews with professors at Harvard and other leaders in the field talking about breathing. There are also exercises. All of that is is free for people. Um, the larger stu uh, story is in the book, of course. I'm trying to get better at this Instagram thing. Pretty bad at it, but uh, I'm just posting stuff associated with the stuff I'm working on, uh, breathing and other elements of, of human potential. Cool. That was amazing. I'm going to get my dad into these mouth exercises he's like he's he's already on a diet he's like what more what more is there Michaela like haha mouth exercises now dad <laughs> is he is he uh sleep taping by any chance he was I don't think he is anymore he had an autoimmune flare-up and that is under control again now so he's back into all the things to make himself feel better and I think focusing on the sleep apnea right now would be good, which is part of the reason I invited you on. So thank you for all that incredibly valuable information. More than happy to help. Really cool. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me.